happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. It's nothing like Monday. You know, there's no. nothing better than starting the week. One day down, four I, to go, baby. I always prefer having, I know some people like having the Friday off. I oh, always no. prefer having the Monday off because then you start the week short. It's not like you have to look forward to it. I think you have two great weeks in a row. You're looking forward to the long weekend for the five day work days previous, and then, you, then you're off for three if you're lucky, and then you work for four, and then you have another weekend. Or in my case, you have a weekend and then two weeks of holidays, so... Or in my case, you just came back from two weeks of holidays. Uh, great to have you back, by the way. Tristan is here this week for vacationing Brett McGarry as the game of musical chairs continues at 680 CGOB. Oh, and it'll take be musical one chairs. host in. Oh, that would be like the hokey pokey. <laughs> <laughs> you take one host out. Yeah, yeah. Put him in the middle. Hey, uh, the long weekend. So much to do. We spoke about this on Friday with Brett about all the things, all the options there were in terms of entertainment and ways to spend your time this weekend. And fabulous and weather, too. Incredible weather. I don't remember such a perfect August long weekend. Did we have, we had a little bit of precipitation where we were yesterday. We were up at Otter Falls up on mm-hmm. the water and we got rained on for about seven minutes. That was it yeah. for the entire weekend. And it actually was quite refreshing to, to get rained on. Yesterday, what did you do? Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Because there were so many options. Of course, Canada Games and the festival associated. We are breaking records. In fact, within four days mm-hmm. of the Canada Games, we had broken the record for attendance for any other Canada Summer Games. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. We will replay for you Jeff Natchuk's conversation with Hal Anderson about week one of Canada Games. I know lots of you are on your way out to games and different events as we speak. Would love to hear from you. What's your experience been on that? And the festival, Loverboy, Saturday night. Crash Test Dummies with the WSO last night. Sheepdogs, Sunday night on Saskatchewan Day. Such incredible Mm. Concerts down at the Forks, the pictures, the images, the video has been overwhelming. Just, I knew we were going to do this. I knew we were going to embrace these summer games. Well, and I've heard actually, Greg, it's funny you mentioned that. I've heard from a few people, a few friends of mine who they're not big into sports or sportsing events or whatever it may be, but uh, they've been at the festival at the Forks. And just love the atmosphere. So the festival, at the very least, hey, even if you're not into the athletic aspect of it, the festival's attracting people for sure. Without question. Uh, Folklorama got underway on right. Sunday. Yeah. There was the Icelandic Festival over the weekend up in Gimli. Rock in the Fields of Minnedosa. I know had a big crowd. Where were you? What did you see? What did you do? Christian O'Mel went up to Grand Beach yesterday, said it was absolutely jam-packed. Jeff Forche, we know you were on the beach yesterday. Oh, yeah. I'm red. I'm red. <laughs> Have you heard of sunscreen, Forche? This is a new invention in the last 40 years. You can protect yourself from the UV rays on your skin. You're like a tomato man. <laughs> I had some on. It just, uh, I guess it washed off when I, I went I suspect swimming. you might have had the wrong SPF on as well. I, 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 I so don't know. where I'm were you? S- Winnipeg Beach. And? Oh, I laid on the beach for a little too long. I went in the water. It was great. How long was a little too long? Well, four hours one day. There we go. Three hours the next. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm, <laughs> a little I'm bit so of context. sore right now. I'm so sore. Give us a scouting report. What was happening up in Winnipeg Beach? Was it busy? Was the beach packed? Oh, the was... beach. Well, we went to like a little beach, but yeah, there's tons of people there. Like we didn't go downtown Winnipeg Beach. We were uh, just off about uh, around 4 Fifth Avenue. 
and there's a little beach area there, so we uh, hung out there and uh, just soaked in too much sun. Now, well, um, well, good. Now I'm really hot, red, and burning. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, we'll let you get back to consuming some fluid so you can get the color back. Um, you had an interesting adventure this weekend, yeah, and I would suggest that. The experience you had and some of the commentary and the discussion that you had might be familiar. I was trying to find the exact right word, familiar, for people who are entertaining folks from out of town because of either summer holidays, Mm -hmm. weddings, uh, Canada summer games. And we were out and about this weekend showing uh, my nephews around town. And uh, uh, several times, my mother-in-law in particular says, well, I've never been here before. Oh, I never come here. And so when you have company, I think it's an opportunity to rediscover where you live, to show people around and to take them to places that you only go when you have company. And you have some very well-traveled friends who yeah. suggested we've never been here before. Where was here? Well, and what's interesting, Greg, is that these friends, uh, uh, to add on to that, they're Winnipeggers. So they've been living here for several years. And we went to, uh, and I was off for a couple of weeks, but we still, I hang out with them fairly regularly. So we went to Kenora. Uh, we went to the Pinawa Dam National or Provincial Park, I should say, uh, and also went to Rushing River. I'm sure a lot of those locations are familiar with mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people listening here. We played a little game too. While we were on the Kenora Bypass heading to Rushing River, we played a game to figure out how many license plates are from Ontario, how many are from Manitoba. Shockingly, the Manitobans outnumbered the Ontarians 10 to 1. My word. Uh, yeah, which wasn't and at Rushing River. Um, uh, it's it, almost all Manitoba. It was, there were, uh, nobody from Ontario was there. Right. But it was one of my friends. He'd been to Vietnam. He'd been to Japan. He'd been to, around the world to all these locations. And he'd never been to Kenora, never been to Rushing River, never been to Pinawa Dam, which are, I think, in terms of if you're looking for a day trip, those three locations are right there. Did you do that all in one day or did you camp at Rushing River? Uh, no, we didn't or? camp. We did these in separate day trips throughout okay. the last little while. Okay. But, Rushing River was an example where he'd never even heard of it before. And mm-hmm. I said, no, this is, or, or maybe he'd heard of it, just not been. And I said, this is, there's a reason why so many people go. We went on the Lower Rapids Trail. We, uh, uh, you know, did a bunch of hiking. And again, Kenora, they'd never been to Kenora. And it's amazing. I think there's a lot of Manitobans or Winnipeggers who might be in that in that same boat where they've traveled the world. They've been to New York City. They've been to Paris. They've been to London, Dubai, wherever it may be. But they haven't seen the Pinawa Dam, they haven't seen Kenora, they haven't seen Rushing River, and these are, now granted, you may not spend two weeks at these locations, no. but for a day trip, absolutely it's oh, worth Hecla it. Island, up right. to Riding Mountain National Park, exactly. up to uh, Wasagaming, and all the beautiful area up around there. The Paw, Flin Flon, yeah. Thompson, I mean... There's a lot of beauty out there. Well, and, and, and personally, Greg, I, you know, I, I've been on a few big trips in my life, but I'm kind of waiting uh, a little bit before I go on that big trip to New York City or that big trip to Paris or wherever it is. I'm waiting a little bit uh, just so that I can explore as much of Manitoba, as much of my own backyard as possible so that, you know, I, I, uh, on my bucket list, if you will, I don't say, well... I never heard about the Pinawa Dam. I never heard about these places. Man, I wish I'd been there when I had the chance. So uh, that's kind of my philosophy is I'm exploring my backyard first, and then I'll go on those grand trips to other destinations. So what are these places? What are your hidden gems? What are your go-tos when you have folks from out of town? Or what about 
friends of yours that you'll you'll go on a little bit of an adventure and you'll hear them say, boy, I've never been here before or I never come here. I didn't know this was here. Would love to hear what those magical places are. 204-780-6868. Talk or text. Are you reading the same text message I am? I think we have to. Greek yogurt? Uh, Jeffrey, put your headphones on here for a second. <laughs> Someone who have, cares, to, cares for I, you I think deeply. We have that the name, uh, and Aaliyah? Aaliyah, does that sound familiar to you, Jeff? Aaliyah, yeah. She's one of my uh, best friends back in elementary. She says, tell little Jeff to buy a regular tub of Greek yogurt and lather himself up. Yes, and I should have done that. Aaliyah, I'm going to take your advice next time. you got people taking care of you, Jeff. <laughs> well, no, th- that, that's the post-burn cure. You don't oh, want to put the yogurt on before. <laughs> that, that'll make I, you I feel better. I thought yogurt was uh, the sunscreen. Uh, no, you want to so try that now. So actually putting yogurt? Yeah, when you get home tonight, oh, wow. stop at uh, the, the Sun Valley store there and get yourself some of that Greek yogurt and put it on your affected areas. We don't need to. <laughs> to know what areas are affected, but put the Greek yogurt on there and you should be feeling much, much better. Hey, we got an email here from someone who, uh, the winner of our Great Manitoba Staycation Package. Why don't mm-hmm. we read that when we come back? Sure. And your calls, your texts about your favorite places in Manitoba. What did you do on the long weekend? And is there a place that you've recently discovered that you haven't been there in a long time and you go... How is it that I either, A, have never been here before, or how come it's been so long since I was here? One of those hidden jewels. What are yours here in Manitoba? He's Tristan in for Brett. I'm Greg. Hope you're having a fantastic, it's already Tuesday. Greg and Tristan with you until 4 o'clock this afternoon. And then it's Keith McCullough in for Richard Clucci. Mm-hmm. Clucci. Clucci, along with Julie Buckingham. Hey, um, here's an email that we got from Angie today. Shadow. And uh, the entire CJOB crew. A note to say thank you. I won the Great Manitoba Staycation Package and have had the privilege to enjoy much of it already. Thermia, that's the Thermia Spa uh, down in Fort Gary, Mm -hmm. is heaven on earth. The wonderful people at Inn at the Forks took wonderful care of us. Not to mention the fine folks at uh, Smith Restaurant as well. When we booked our stay for this past Sunday, we weren't aware that the Canada Games would be on at the Forks. So from our window in our suite, we were able to watch the Sheepdogs headlining the free concert and then the fireworks after. What a treat. The kids had a blast at Thunder Rapids and they too were so good to us there. And to think we still have Roger Waters to look forward to. Thank you so much to everyone for this lovely, lovely gift. We've been enjoying it and really appreciate the fun we've been having. It's a good day when Shadow calls you in the morning. Congratulations, Angie. Thank you for sharing yeah, that, and that with really, us. That really speaks to what we've been discussing. You know, what do you do? What did you do this weekend? And that speaks to these gems in Manitoba. Greg, we've been getting a few texts here uh, from some of our listeners, and I was just looking at the link that one of our listeners sent of. I might be mispronouncing this, so my apologies. Uh, Pisu Falls. Yeah, I was going to say, be careful with that one. Yeah, no, no, that's. Uh, I, th- I think I got that okay. Actually, looks fantastic. Um, it, it, isn't that up near uh, Thompson? Or something? Yeah, just south of Thompson on Highway Six. Uh, Highway Six, which you can drive right out of Winnipeg, I believe. Uh, and uh, it's uh, there's a boardwalk there, and the falls fall about 13 meters or 43 feet. Hmm. Uh, and the trail looks. Uh, 
looks lovely. I was just looking at some of the pictures here, and uh, now granted, a bit long for maybe a day trip, right? But certainly, I might be something worth checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? We had Jack here t- telling us about mud bogging at Metis Day in Saint Laurent. Yeah, that was this past weekend, so we missed out on sharing that uh, with you for this year. But for next yeah. year, put it on your list of things to do up in Saint Laurent. That's a much shorter trip. Yeah, up certainly. Highway Six. It's yeah. only. An hour from my house. It's exactly 100 kilometers. My brother's got a place uh, up on the east side of Lake Manitoba, and it's exactly 100 kilometers from my front door to his back door. I mean, where else can you do? Where else can you go? Yesterday, we went up to Otter Falls, and it was 107 kilometers uh, from Bird's Hill to where we were going to launch the boat. Mm-hmm. And you go from open prairie, a little bit of rolling hills, right, uh, th- up through Birds Hill. Highway 44 is as prairie as it gets in terms yep. of farmland and, and the crops being grown around there. And then, boom, you enter the Canadian Shield. And it's like you're in a different world. It is a fascinating place that we well, live. And you, you kind of get that on the Trans Canada too, especially if you're heading from the White Shell oh, and you're sure. heading, you know, White Shell back to Winnipeg. There's for a good chunk of it, there's forest and there's rocks, oh, and then, then boom, and suddenly the, the forest ends and it opens up into yeah. the vast landscape that we all know of. We're getting some other text here, Greg, as well. Little limestone, mm-hmm. Michaela, or. Uh, Michaela, Michaela uh, Limestone me. Lake uh, looks uh, like tropical. The water is so blue. Is that Little Limestone Lake, Michaela? Oh, look at this. Back. And someone else here texting us, Limestone Lake is on my bucket list. Check it out on the internet. Another listener just texted us that as we were reading Michaela's text. Okay, so there you go. So keep sending us those, okay? Yeah. We want to share them with uh, all of our listeners. I know sometimes folks are reluctant to share because they're concerned that if the word gets out, all of a sudden these places aren't so tranquil, they aren't a secret, they aren't maybe as special if you're all of a sudden sharing them, rubbing shoulders with with people don't care about them as much and uh, because people take ownership well, and you know, of these little parts of the world. Along this line too, like I had an experience just this weekend where I found out, found out quite by accident. Uh, apparently there is... Uh, this really nice nature reserve uh, near the Broken Head First Nation, mm. uh, just uh, along Highway 59. Uh, and apparently oh. there's a one and a half kilometer boardwalk there. And you have to be careful where you walk because it's it's under a, a protected area. And, mm-hmm. and the life forms or the life there can be, I guess, contaminated, for lack of a better word. But I found out about it. And that's one of the areas I want to take a look at. Look at your look at your monitor right now. Michaela sent a picture of Little Limestone Lake. It looks like something you'd see in Banff National Park. That is absolutely spectacular. What is that? Little Limestone Lake. That would be, I'm just doing a quick Google search here. That is absolutely Mm -hmm. gorgeous. Thank you for sharing that, Michaela. Feel free to send your pictures as well. She's sending a couple more here, these incredible cliffs. Here we go. Uh, It's near Grand Rapids, Manitoba, roughly 500 kilometers north of Winnipeg. So it sounds as though, and uh, based on the pictures I'm seeing, well worth the trip, well worth the adventure uh, here in Manitoba. Keep sending us those homegrown gems, the things in Manitoba, northwestern Ontario, even into uh, northern Minnesota and and North Dakota, uh, dare I say eastern Saskatchewan? No, leave Saskatchewan out of this. That you find irresistible places that you love to go that maybe your friends and uh, our listeners, our, our friends here at 680 CGOB, our little family here that uh, listen to the program would like to go. 
Uh, we, uh, we're getting more suggestions on this year. The caves at Clearwater Lake, northeast of what? the Paw. What? Yeah, Glenn's texting us that. Well, and another, um, and a lot, speaking of those caves, too, this might this one's probably a better known, but uh, uh, if you go to Caddy Lake, yeah. there's the tunnels where the, the CN rail line, main line, and the CP rail line go over these rocky formations. And what happens is Caddy Lake, which is connected to a Little Cross Lake, I think is what it's called. And what happens is you can take a boat and you can go through these tunnels that were drilled between these lakes. And these tunnels also serve as bat caves. And you can take a boat there. You can take a small motorboat. You can rent them or, or a canoe. And it's a few-hour excursion. But that's at Caddy Lake, which is right near West Top Lake in the South White Shell. Why do you lie to me like that? What do you mean? That doesn't exist. Is that true? Of course. Yeah, I went there as a kid with my family. We're going to do that later this summer. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I remember as a kid when we went into the first cave, I actually got a little bit scared because it looks frankly kind of scary <laughs> that part does not surprise me but, the rest of the things you're telling me surprise me immensely this does not surprise me uh but it's just it was and I, I usually didn't get kind of frightened by that sort of stuff but it was uh it was a little bit uh intimidating i guess that's the word uh to use but yeah caddy lake you can there's two caves that are underneath the cn and cp main rail lines and you can just take a, a boat or uh, a canoe or whatever it is, and you can go through them. South Cross Lake. Thank you very much, Kelly. Just texting that in. Fab, fantastic. I, I, there's a conveyor belt in northwestern Ontario that gets you from, I think it's Dog Tooth Lake onto Lake of the Woods. It's an actual conveyor belt. It'll take your boat down to Lake of the Woods or up to Dogtooth or Longtooth Lake. It, I'll look it up. Dogtooth would break. be near Rushing River. So yeah, that it's, in that same, interesting. it's in that same area. I know one of our listeners is going to text it during yeah. uh, Global News and Weather. You have to go in the other room, update us on Global News and Weather, and then we'll come back. We'll continue to talk about this, and we'll also check in with Jeff Natchik. He visited with Hal Anderson earlier today. We will replay part of that conversation about the outstanding, the unprecedented success the Canada Games have been in Winnipeg. And we still have one more week to show the rest of Canada what we've got here in our part of the world. It's Greg and Tristan. Have the best listeners, Dave and Daryl, immediately. Longbow Lake, Greg. That's where you can take the lift or the uh, conveyor belt up to Longbow from Lake of the Woods or down to Lake of the Woods from Longbow. It's about six bucks each way, so you got to be pretty intent on going there's a little bit of an investment involved sure but it beats the heck out of putting your boat on a trailer and uh taking it out of one lake and putting it in the other so hey thanks for that guys and you'd never seen that either right no that's really not that far from rushing river it's just uh, to the east of kenora that's cool on on highway one and uh, the long boat lake there they've got a big resort there at uh, the top of the lake i'm greg he's uh, christian we're talking about what we did for I'm the Tristan, August by the long way. week. What did I say, Christian? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's going to happen at least twice this week. <laughs> Christian O'Mel, of course, uh, uh, easing his way into uh, Sports Sunday co-hosting role with Keith McCullough and myself. Sorry about that, Tristan. No, yeah, I, I, just, I do that all the time. One little a comment that you said that just sprang to mind real quick about how you know that little conveyor belt is mm-hmm. so close and yet so far, if you will. When we were out hiking at Rushing River, it was amazing that uh, how many where the boardwalks or how many of these little streams that meander through the forest that from the road or the highway, you'd never notice them. Right. Really not until you're up close. And it was kind of neat just seeing all these dozens of them that would just 
pour into the river, into the falls. And I just think, man, imagine if you just went walking into the woods for 10 minutes and you'd come across these neat little creeks that probably aren't even on a map. So there's, in spite of the the how much of a huge tourist destination it is, there's probably still plenty to explore around there. Well, there's all sorts of hiking trails out at yeah. Rushing River, but then on the south side of the highway, they've got these different lengths of hike that you can do with yeah. the different, uh, they've got the steps that they've built up yeah, inside, that's we went, yeah. and it actually feels like a West Coast Trail. Kind a of, little yeah, bit, like you're much. on Vancouver Island mm-hmm. a little bit, right? And you go from the sun uh, to the bog, and then you go inside the trees, and you can be in the shade for half a kilometer. It, it's a, it's fantastic. Some of the hidden jewels we have in this part of the world. I know winter sucks, but man, in the summertime, we really do get out Absolutely. and make the most of it. Uh, and I think I mentioned, but I, I want to give a shout out to the McDonald's who hosted us yesterday up at Otter Falls. We just these are friends of my in-laws who we were just kind of popping in to say hi to say hey we're in the neighborhood can you show us where the boat launch is uh to full-fledged pure manitoba hospitality come and have your lunch and we kind of took over their cabin there was seven of us so we took over their cabin for the afternoon i just wanted to send out a shout out to mm-hmm. them because their hospitality was was second to none and nothing that we were expecting we were just popping in to say hi we ended up being there for four hours. So I, th- I think some of the best visits end up happening that way, right? We're just in the neighborhood. Yeah. Nobody does that anymore. The pop-in. We did the classic pop-in. Yeah. Uh, Greg, I'm sorry. I kind of hijacked the segment here. I know you wanted to chat about the Canada Games. No, no, not at all. I mean, this is uh, why we do what we do the way we do it. Canada Summer Games has been an absolutely gigantic success. I was trying to find the article. I was sure that uh, Jason Bell had written in the Winnipeg Free Press on Saturday or Sunday that after four days of events, Winnipeg had broken the attendance record set by Sherbrooke, Quebec, the last time the Summer Games were were held. But I couldn't find that article this morning. Of course, when I you needed it, of course Yeah, not. of course, when I needed it. Anyway, if you can substantiate that, I would uh, love to hear from you, 204-780-68. At this point... 60,000 people have taken in events for the Canada Summer Games, including 7,000 people at the baseball game at Shaw Park Friday night. Team Saskatchewan defeating Team Manitoba in the gold medal game. That didn't break my heart at all, but I was so heartened to see how many people showed up. We implored you to pack the park, and you did a fantastic job of that. Hal Anderson spoke with Jeff Natchuk, the president and CEO of the Canada Summer Games, and uh, he started by uh, asking Jeff a very simple question. How was week one? Week one was was fantastic. I mean, it started off with a fabulous opening ceremonies. Uh, we had well over 10,000 people uh, at the opening ceremonies at uh, Bell MTS Place, and that just got the energy going. And, I mean, it, it seemed like the momentum over week one just carried on. We had great uh, number of spectators out at the, the venues. The venues were fantastic. The weather was, was super. I mean, it was definitely warm the first few days of, of competition, but, I mean, in some cases we had record numbers of attendance at uh, at some of the venues. So it was uh, a great first week for sure. And are you happy with the medal hall? Yeah, I think uh, you know Manitobans performed uh, performed well in in week one. We had some great uh, individual performances, and of course our our baseball team getting to the gold medal game was, uh, from a host society perspective, definitely a bonus given the fact that. 
uh, you know, he drew almost 7,000 people for the, the gold medal game at, at Shaw Park. Yeah. So, you know, and then we add on top of that, I mean, the, the, the great athlete performances and the sport performances, but our festival site um, in week one, uh, you know, we were getting uh, 10,000 people, close to 10,000 people down at the Forks for the, the festival site. So all in all, week one was, uh, was fantastic. I heard one uh, quote from you saying that we may be on track uh, for the best games ever as far as attendance is concerned. Still the case? Well, it seems to be uh, tracking that way. We've uh, we've had um, the first, as of day one of competition yesterday, uh, that momentum still seems to be building. We had uh, sold-out crowds at softball to watch our Manitoba girls play uh, two games yesterday and uh, volleyball at the um, uh, Investors Group Centre at the University was sold out for both the men's and women's volleyball games. So that trend seems to be continuing. So uh, if it does, I would suggest that our uh, our numbers will be some of the largest spectator numbers ever for a Canada Games. And I think one of the... One of the um, uh, advantages we have here with our games in Winnipeg is the fact that our venues uh, are a significant, uh, are, are a lot bigger than what some of the venues uh, that have hosted games in the past. So it allows for that many more spectators to to view the great performance by the athletes. And a great crowd at the festival yesterday and last night. Oh, it was fantastic. We uh, we had uh, in excess of well, I guess we had ten thousand people there and. Uh, just tremendous performances. Manitoba Day ran a little longer. Normally, we open up the Fork site with uh, with artists starting around 4:30. Yesterday, we started at one, and it's just a great atmosphere down there. Great family type of atmosphere during the day with the Macdon Family Fun Zone and all the great things that are available for for people to see down at the Forks. And it's you know, hell, it's just a, it's been just a fantastic vibe in the city. And of course with uh, Kenora hosting the rowing last week and Gimli hosting the sailing. Both those uh, sites were fantastic also. And now the festival takes uh, a few days off. It kicks back in at the Forks on Thursday. Uh, Set us up for week two. It's already underway. It began yesterday, but it was a holiday for a lot of people yesterday with Terry Fox Day. So set up uh, week two here are the games for us. Yeah, we got... Gets underway, and that's at the uh, the University of Winnipeg, the Axworthy uh, Center, indoor volleyball, both at the Canada Games Sport for Life Center and uh, at Investors Group Center at the University. Tennis, softball at Bloomberg, soccer, male soccer this week, uh, golf at Southwood Golf and Country Club, swimming, of course, at the at the Pan Am Pool, cycling out at uh, Birds Hill. Another great venue, and all these venues are are great, but the canoe-kayak competition happening at the Winnipeg Rowing Club on Churchill Drive. Um, And and then, of course, we we end it all with the closing ceremonies on the uh, the 13th, and still lots of tickets left for the the closing ceremonies, and we really want to, you know, it's the, the support for these athletes has been so tremendous throughout these games. We really want to you know, fill investors group field, uh, if we can to, to give just a fabulous kickoff to those or send off to those athletes, um, once the games are completed. And, you know, Jeff, you and I talked a couple weeks ago before the games began, and I think the number you had was 153 million potentially into the local economy with these games. Uh, Can you share any anecdotal stories with us as to, uh, how some of the local businesses have done with the games in town? Yeah, you know, I think we've seen, like I know 
hotels for for example i know are um are really busy i know we alone as a host society have booked over uh, 8000 hotel nights that's just for our use never mind all the visitors that are coming in but a couple of uh, uh neat stories are heard and again sort of third hand stories but yeah. uh, the concessions at Shaw Park uh, for that baseball game last Friday night uh we were hearing from some of the uh, the concession owners that that was the busiest that they have been since they've been at Shaw Park and I think a couple of the concessions even ran out of food we heard that uh, the restaurant there clay oven uh ran out of food because of the uh the crowd that was there so hopefully we're seeing that in a number and the businesses are seeing that in a number of different um locations and examples and i think it's a it's really a testament to what an event like this does for the for the community that's great to hear have there been any hitches at all even little ones you know, there's there's always a, a few hitches. I mean, sort of behind the scenes. I mean, one of the things that we we dealt with and were able to to react to very quickly is you know, we're always trying to um, to make sure that the experience for the athletes is top of mind and both their experience on or during their competition, but also outside of the competition. And it's really important for athletes to be able to go out and watch their fellow athletes and other athletes compete when they're not competing. So we had a few um, hiccups at the start with some of the transportation and being able to get those athletes out to their out to the venues when they're not competing, but we were able to, with the assistance of the city of Winnipeg, uh, work through that. And the feedback has been really good around the uh, the athletes getting engaged in the other uh, competitions and going out to see their fellow athletes compete. That's Jeff Natchuk giving us a recap of Week One of Canada Summer Games, and if you haven't been out to either capture the excitement at the Forks or at one of the sport venues. You still have six days to do so. So get out there and uh, support Team Toba or whatever province you might be from originally. You know, wear your colors, wear them proud, cheer loud, and uh, spend lots of money while you're out there. And uh, Third and Bird, our friends from Third and Bird, they actually have a market at the Forks that starts today. And so you can go down there. Even though the festival isn't happening, they're going to have a market down there uh, with all sorts of vendors, uh, different things available for you to buy, things that you can't buy anywhere else. Either you can get them online or you'll be able to get them at this uh, Third and Bird market down at the Forks for the next couple of nights. I'm Greg. He's Tristan. We come back. I don't know if you think about this when you go camping. I know I do. Anytime I go into anything that resembles the backcountry, you don't even have to go that far sometimes. Mother Nature will seek you out in Kil- the Kilcona form. Kilcona Park right here. They've uh, had coyote problems with coyotes oh, this year, if what, I'm not mistaken. What, what? That's across the street from me. I oh. haven't heard about that. Oh, dear. We'll talk about that when we come back. <laughs> Interactions with wild animals and something that was a little bit uh, closer than you ever want to get up in Canmore when we return. I'm Greg. He is Tristan. Weather update is next. It's first time for everything, Tristan. Greg Mackling. Okay. Just uh, in the last few, <laughs> the last few seconds we were off air there. Greg had to um, export some products. Let's put it that way. Oh no, it's just just coughing it out, man. Sometimes sure. that works. You just cough through the hiccup, and <clears throat> hopefully it disappears. Hey, we were talking about uh, all these great places to visit: northwestern Ontario, northern Manitoba, mm. southern Manitoba, the White Shell, uh, all sorts of wonderful, marvelous gems, jewels in the uh, in the world of uh, nature to visit and to take your friends to. Uh, 
you have to be cognizant of wildlife, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. And uh, you and I each have a little bit of a story in terms of uh, a little bit close for comfort as it pertains to wildlife. But uh, a woman in Canmore was injured in a bear attack on Sunday out in Alberta. So, and, and here's this from our friends Global News in, uh, in Alberta. Uh, what happens is uh, she was in an area that was actually closed uh, to, uh, it said it was in the Quarry Lake area, Grassy Lakes area, one of the uh, uh, provincial parks there. Uh, again, not far from Canmore. Uh, if she was in an area that was closed because of bear activity. Uh, you know, the, uh, she was walking her dog. Her dog was unharmed. She was treated uh, in hospital for her injuries and released, so they probably weren't too uh, serious. But they did close that area due to bear activity. And so she was in there in spite of it being closed? Pretty much, yes. Okay, well, well why do people do this? So, and, and this goes to our conversation about being bear smart. No kidding. Right? And, and if you go to the white shell, as you're well aware, I mean, black bears there are, are I don't want to say everywhere, but they're, they're common at least. And there are signs everywhere saying be bear smart. Sure. So a couple of weeks ago when we were hiking on the McGilvery Falls Trail, which was fantastic. We actually ended up on the mountain bike trail by accident because the McGillery Falls Trail was partially washed out. Uh, but anyway, so we were there. And, and so where's this McGillery Falls? Sorry, This is right near Caddy Lake. Okay. Uh, so we go there, and uh, of course, uh, a friend of mine, we brought some granola bars and some water and stuff. And a friend of mine stops as we're, of course, we're in the middle of, we're in the middle of hike. A friend of mine stops and says, those granola bars are covered in chocolate. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that, it's probably not the best thing to have when there are bears and animals around. And we're thinking to ourselves, great, now we're dinner. So, of course, any little ruffle in the woods, right, is like, wait, do you guys hear that? What was that? Is that a bear? Oh, God, it's a bear. You know, and it's like, no, it's a squirrel. It's an insect making a noise. That actually happened. We got scared by an insect making a noise. As if that wasn't bad enough, then we go on the trail and it's near a lot of the Canadian Shield. There's raspberries, there's blueberries, everything. And we're not even thinking that, you know, hey, by the way, we're just carrying ourselves in a platter here mm-hmm. and there's dessert on top of that. Sure. Right? So should have lathered yourself up in the blueberries and the, <laughs> and the wild berries, right? Exactly. So uh, they weren't ripe, thankfully. But it's just that was I was kind of wondering. And Greg, you told me a great story about a wildlife encounter because we were out there thinking to ourselves, hmm, that's not really the best wildlife preparedness strategy. Now, well, is no, it? and I mean you were backcountry hiking, right? So you were at least thinking about this. When we get yeah. when we're at the cottage, I think sometimes you let your guard down. A little bit. And we were at West Hawk Lake uh, for a week, two summers ago. And that's such a popular area, oh, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely, right? But we're, you know, we're on Lake Shore, and we're, we're up probably a good 150 feet up above the actual lake. So you've got to take this gigantic staircase down to the lake. And one of the boys and I did that. We were going to have like a father-son chat on the dock. And just as we were getting to the bottom of the stairs, a deer sprinted past our path. And we looked at each other thinking, boy, that was kind of neat. And not really thinking about what the deer might be running from. (laughs) So we proceeded across the path and made ourselves down, made our way down to the dock. And not even a minute later, there was what was either a coyote or a wolf who had been chasing this deer, following the path, stops, looks at us. You want to feel like dinner. And I kept my calm. I wanted to get my camera out. I can't believe that was one of my first instincts. And the wolf is thinking, but, I'll have dinner for days. That's right. And I, but I put, <laughs> I put Brendan behind me, and I kind of stood 
stood my ground, right? Didn't want to look weak in any way. I'm looking around and going, there's lots of furniture here. I can throw stuff at him. I can do whatever I need to do. I was feeling confident that if he made an approach that I would be able to fend him off, foolishly or otherwise. But he turned his attention back to the path. And then about a minute after that, we heard a giant splash and saw the deer that he'd been chasing or she had been chasing to swim across the lake. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a hell of a story. Uh, it was a little bit too close for comfort well, and, for us. And in my situation, I might be thinking, well, I could drown in the lake. Maybe that'll be less painful than being eaten uh, yeah, by. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's Jason. Or like this wolf in the backyard at the lake. As per Coyotes, a co-worker has seen uh, them walking uh, down CP, the main CP line near the MPA, MPI compound. And you were mentioning that uh, maybe over at, at Harborview and yeah. the uh, Kilcona Park area that they were having Coyote. So how about that? Great picture, yeah. Jason. That I wasn't quite that close, but uh, close enough for comfort. That and I, I getting sweaty palms just reliving I, the story. I can imagine instinct kicking in, kicking in, and oh, because well, uh, you, you know, as a parent, right? You, yeah. you know, the first thing is to protect. So once he left, I kind of walked forward, kept Brandon behind me, and then I had a chair with me. Kind of like a lion tamer, thinking <laughs> right. the things you think, right? Well, like about well, what's going to work. Well, I got to have something between me and the animal. Should the animal come back for me? And then I went backwards up these stairs, easily 140 of them, all the way up, keeping my eye on the path. So uh, that was as close as I want to come to an interaction was- with a four-legged beast. Well, and it's a good thing it was you and not me, because if there was a little kid nearby me in that circumstance, I would have offered the kid as a sacrifice yeah, and I run have, away. I have zero doubt about that. Tristan Field-Jones uh, in for Brett McGarry. He's also uh, all ready to deliver the global news and weather at the top of the hour. And then we'll tell you about a story that you heard about here on 680 CGOB about six, seven weeks ago about a GoPro camera that was found at the bottom of a lake that many of us have been to. We'll tell you how the exchange went down when we come back. Jeff Forche, appreciating your uh, sunburn remedies as well. Aloe vera gel is really the only one I know of, but the yogurt. And what was the other one you were just reading, Jeff? Oh, I just lost it. Oh, some about a spritzer bottle. And once you get it, you uh, let me know. We'll, we'll bring you back in here. Greg Mackling and Tristan Field-Jones on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, happy belated Terry Fox Day. Mm-hmm. I was shocked at how many people didn't know yesterday was Terry Fox Day. I know it's, is this year two or year three? might be the third one. So I, I know it's a new thing for people. We, but uh, We didn't make as big of a deal about Terry Fox Day as we did about, like, let's say, Louis Riel Day as an example. Well, uh, I know it's maybe apples and oranges. I but, thought it was one of the coolest things we've ever done yeah. uh, to honor Terry Fox. On Friday, we're going to have the discussion. You can start thinking about this now. If Manitoba was going to create its own Mount Rushmore... Which four Manitobans would go on that Mount Rushmore, Mount Manitoba? If we were going to carve the likeness, the faces of four individuals that represent who we are, who would go on that? We had this conversation in sports, right, about GOAT, the greatest of all time in different sports, overall greatest athletes of all time. And then sometimes you have the discussion about the NHL's or hockey's Mount Rushmore, football's Mount Rushmore, CFL's Mount Rushmore. What's Manitoba's Mount Rushmore? And is there any doubt that Terry Fox 
would be the first choice. We'll talk about that yep. on Friday. Start thinking about that. Feel free to start texting them in as well. We'll compile those uh, as well. We'll have to put up a Facebook page on sure, that. Absolutely. Who would go on Mount Manitoba slash in brackets our Mount Rushmore of yep. uh, greatest Manitobans. And speaking of which, we'll have one of those great Manitobans. I don't think he'll cut the mustard for Mount uh, Mount Manitoba slash Mount Rushmore of Manitoba, but Brent Fitz will come in and join us in studio tomorrow at two o'clock. I had the privilege of seeing him and uh, Todd Kearns and and Spider and Co- Corey uh, Choka on uh, Friday night in the form of Took performing classic Canadian rock and roll mm-hmm. uh, two hours straight. It was absolutely fantastic. We'll talk about uh, Canadian rock and roll and the influence of Street Heart. Uh, we visited with uh, Brent, uh, did Jeff Courier and I the morning after uh, uh, Kenny Shields passed away. So we'll uh, relive some great Canadian music memories with uh, Brent Fitz tomorrow afternoon right here on uh, Mackling and McGarry with guest host Tristan Field-Jones. Now here's a story that we told you about a few weeks ago. Tristan, you want to read the double WDAZ story from south of the border? Yeah, well, the the simple truth is that uh, uh, a Canadian couple, they're able to relive some of their lost memories after losing their camera in the Red Lake River. And a lot of people know that as Red Lake Falls. It's where a lot of Canadians go down to Minnesota to go tubing. I have never been there, but yeah. So, so including this Canadian couple uh, that's being uh, talked about uh, in this article. And so there was a GoPro that went for a dip in the river. And the camera's original owner, James Cohen, uh, says they were enjoying themselves at the falls on the tubes. And uh, obviously, we may have had one too many beers and lost track of the camera, as I'm sure has happened to many people who are out and about. So they thought that, uh, uh, so, and uh, they looked at it and they thought where it was last and they didn't see it. And uh, long story short is simply put, uh, Crystal Luck, who's one of the people that we spoke to earlier today, Greg, she found the camera. And... uh, this was, uh, they mentioned this, this was about a year. After it had gone missing. After it had gone missing. That's right. So we visited with both James and Crystal when this story broke. I got on my Facebook page picture of, do you know, do you know these people? Mm-hmm. Somebody's found their camera. We're trying to reunite them with their camera. It was a winter picture on the bridge, that pedestrian bridge at the Forks, uh, the one that goes across the Assiniboine River. And I was like, well, that's clearly in Winnipeg. So Winnipeg people, let's share it. And by the time I started sharing it, They'd already found out who the people were, and they had connected with Crystal. So Brett and I spoke with Crystal. We spoke with James earlier this year when the story uh, first broke. And then uh, Tristan and I spoke with Crystal earlier this morning, and we asked her how things went. How did the reunion go? It was really cute. Like, when they first came up, I instantly recognized them, and she gave me a big hug, and it, it was... It was really cute. Gave them the camera. They took the chip out, looked at it, sniffed it, <laughs> and uh, gave it back to me and said, it's yours. Uh, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Were you expecting that? I was half expecting it because we kind of made a, a little bet that if this post got over 15,000 shares, they'd let me keep it. Oh, so there's a little... Oh, we got 20,000 shares. There was a little side deal in place there. Crystal, I, I have to ask, uh, did you ever expect this to go viral like that, finding the owners within 24 hours? Did you ever expect it to be that, to, to blow up like that? 
I did not. I was expecting no more than like 200, 300. So have you been invited to come up to Winnipeg at all? I would love to visit Winnipeg. What now? Are you going to keep in touch with James and Celia? Are you guys fast friends now? What's the plan for your GoPro? You got some adventures to to go on and, and shoot some exciting footage of your own or what? Um, I plan to keep in touch with them because they say they make me frequent trips to Grand Forks. The GoPro, I've been, I've been out taking pictures with it because I like the wide setting it has. I'm going to take it to concerts and I do travel sometimes, take it with. I'm excited. I actually got a camera for that type of stuff. Thanks for being such a good sport. Thanks again for taking the action you did, going above and beyond, and making sure that uh, James and Celia got their pictures back. You are uh, you're a special person, Crystal. Thanks so much from all of us here in Manitoba for doing what you did for for one of our own. Thank you. So thanks to Crystal Lux, Celia Broski, and James Cohen, who are now in ja- engaged, by the way, uh, have their memories back. Hundreds and hundreds of images that went down the drain in Red Lake Falls uh, River, or Red Red Lake River, out in Minnesota. Thanks to Crystal. They have their, uh, their digital card back. And when Crystal, if it wasn't clear in the story there, when Crystal gave them the camera, they took out the memory card and handed the camera back to Crystal as a thank you. They went down to Grand Forks. They had lunch at the Olive Garden. And uh, they now, that sounds like they're going to remain friends. That, kind of a good news story yeah. of, of doing the right thing, right? Because it would have been really easy for Crystal just to keep the camera and to erase all the images and, and to keep it. Uh, sounds like she wouldn't have slept at night had she taken that approach. Well, and you know what's interesting, Greg, is this reminds me of, it's such a neat story of you never know what you'll find when you're out hiking or oh, you're true. out for, for, and I'll just share this real quick. Uh, in one of the many day trips I've been on when we were near the Pinawa Dam, somewhat like this, kind of in a, in a crevice of a rock, if you will, uh, we discovered something a little bit bigger than a GoPro camera, a picnic table. Okay. Somehow, the picnic table had been pushed into this rock crevice near the Pinawa Dam and was half underwater. Oh, bloody vandals. Yeah, we, we, we came, but that was one of the strangest things that I'd ever seen on my hiking trip. Yeah, that would be, that would be odd. Hey, we got some great pictures from you as well. Uh, keep sending them in, 780-6868 from McGilvery Falls uh, Trail. That's the bit I wasn't able to see, unfortunately. Oh, really? Oh, yep. really cool. Some more uh, Caddy Lake stuff. And then also, my word, the caves that Clearwater Lake, northeast of the Paw from Glen. Thank you for those uh, pictures as well. That looks like something you'd see in South America or maybe on in Hawaii. Just absolutely awe-inspiring. Nothing that I'd ever even heard of before here in Manitoba. So keep sending us our your Manitoba hidden jewel stuff. Mm-hmm. You can text them uh, your pictures, your links, your ideas seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight, or you can send me an email gmac g m a c k at cjob Tristan, what are you? T F J? T R I S T A N. Tristan at cjob.com. Uh, nice and easy, nice and simple. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eve, send us a text message. Are you going to put these up on the website? Probably what we'll do is we'll compile them, a little bit of a list. We'll put them up on our Facebook page. We are so short-handed in the oh, newsroom yes. this week. It's unbelievable. So it'll kind of be up to Tristan and I and uh, Jeff Forche to compile this and get it out to you. And if you want the list and you want some of the pictures, we will put them up on Facebook. We'll try and have that done by tomorrow. Uh, when we come back, we've got an interesting story to share with you. Yes, indeed. I came across this. This is a Canadian press story. It was on our global news website, though. An alarming number of Americans continue to carry guns into Canada. So we'll tell you more about that right after the break. We will also update you with the latest weather forecast next. 
And just for those of you in southwestern Manitoba, there is a severe thunderstorm warning uh, or watch, pardon me, for most, if not all, of eastern, the southeastern uh, corner of Saskatchewan. So that's likely, Tristan, I imagine, to move into southwestern Manitoba as we make our way through the afternoon. We'll keep, we'll keep yeah. you up to date. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Environment Canada was suggesting there might be a chance of some, some severe storms overnight, but we'll keep an eye out on that. And if there are any watchers or warnings issued, you'll certainly hear about them right here on 680 CGLB. We were visiting with Crystal Luck earlier uh, this morning. We played that audio for you just a few moments ago here on 680 CGLB. She lives in Grand Forks. Uh, So many of us go down to Grand Forks, Fargo, uh, Minneapolis, uh, driving across the border. What we don't realize is how many people come up to Canada from the United States Mm -hmm. that are still carrying guns. Even though they're not supposed to be doing that, it's uh, it's a rather large problem. Well, and this is a story from the Canadian press here, and we had it on our global news website. But uh, what happens is, uh, this is by Rob Roberts, he's the Atlantic Bureau Chief for the Canadian press, and he's written a little bit about this, and he just studied one province, New Brunswick where they have a significant number of border crossings there. And he also took a look at, uh, you know, a, took a brief look at nationally how this is an issue. So let's welcome Rob to the program. And uh, Rob, I'd be curious to know, let's just look at New Brunswick for a second, and then sure. we'll talk about uh, the bigger picture afterwards. But what did you find out about Americans carrying guns into Canada just from New Brunswick alone? Uh, there's a lot of them, at least for a small border crossing on the main New Brunswick border anyway. And it appears to be happening uh, more often than it used to. Um, like I said, there's a small crossing, uh, St. Stephen, New Brunswick. Uh, so far, between, I guess, from early, late, late May to early July, there were six Americans who were caught uh, bringing handguns across. And more importantly, but lying about it. So, Rob, that was the second part. You kind of read my mind there. Are they doing this uh, accidentally, or are they uh, are they telling untruths to uh, Border Patrol officials as they enter into Canada? And do we have an idea of what their intention is? Is it just to have their gun on their person when they come into Canada because they're used to having it in the States, or are they looking to peddle these firearms in our country? Oh, no, these aren't these aren't bad people. Uh, the prosecutor I spoke to in, uh, in St. John, New Brunswick, basically describes them as, you know, uh, wealthy, uh, mostly in retirees or, or nearly retired, who are otherwise law-abiding people. They're upstanding citizens in Houston, Texas, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, but uh, uh, they're used to carrying guns. They may be so used to them they may forget about it. In some cases, I think they do forget about it because they've got them locked in storage cases or whatever in their, in their motorhome. In some cases, it's pretty obvious that... Uh, they know what they're doing, that they're intentionally uh, hiding them so that they, they cross the border with it. Um, I just don't think they realize how big a deal it is uh, for Canadians. Now, I have to ask, Rob, just looking through the story here, uh, kind of looked at some of the individual cases there. So what were some of the weapons they were transporting? And subsequently, what was the punishment for them bringing these into or trying to bring these into Canada? Uh, well, the most recent ones this year... Um, uh, the fines tend to be about $1,500 or $2,000 Canadian. Uh, they're not big fines, although they do lose their, uh, they lose their guns. And, of course, most of them are coming up here on vacation, and uh, they, don't get to go, uh, <laughs> they don't get to come see the, the delights of Halifax or, uh, or Newfoundland. They, they, their vacations are kind of short-circuited. The guns they're coming across with, um, uh, well, we're talking 357 Magnums. We're talking about Smith & Wesson 9mm. Um, in some cases, now I'm talking last year, 
Um, they've come across with, uh, with uh, more than one gun. They come across with pepper spray. One guy came across with a stun gun. We're not talking, um, uh, at least the cases that I'm, I'm familiar with, we're not talking you know, um, automatic weaponry or uh, some machine guns or anything. These are personal protection guns uh, that are perfectly normal for somebody from Key West, Florida, uh, to have on their person or in their car. They just don't recognize or choose to ignore the fact that Canada is a very different country. And obviously, if someone in Canada were to get their hands on a weapon like that, uh, you know, this is something, A, that would be attractive to the criminal element and also uh, contravene uh, at least one or two uh, Canadian laws by having it in their possession uh, and not having it registered. So did you look at uh, some other jurisdictions across the country and some of the other border crossings, Rob? Um, not uh, border crossing by border crossing, but I can tell you this, that in 2015, uh, 671 firearms were seized uh, across Canada, most of them Ontario and B.C. Um, of those 671, uh, 313 uh, were prohibited. You know how handguns here are, are uh, either restricted or prohibited, depending on what kind of gun we're talking about. Um, uh, so about half of them, maybe, a little bit less than half. Um, were actually prohibited altogether. Um, now, in 2016, uh, nationwide, there were 413 guns in just the first six months. I don't have uh, statistics related to that, though. So, and you mentioned this right off the t- right off the hop here that these numbers appear to be increasing over the last little while. Do we know why more Americans or or more guns are making their way to the Canadian border? Uh, no, it, I suspect it might have more to do with. Well, I'm guessing here uh, that border guards are getting smarter about these things. Um, uh, so many of these guys, at least the ones that are that are caught anyway, are Southerners. They're from the U.S., uh, deep Southern states. Um, and I think uh, I'm not sure if border officers would admit to profiling, mm. but I think if you're coming across in a motorhome with uh, Florida or Georgia plates, you might be more likely to be pulled aside for inspection. That's an interesting thought. Hey, Rob, thanks for sharing the story. It really caught our attention, and we certainly thank you for making some time for us this afternoon, and uh, you were a great guest. We'd love to have you back. Sure. Thanks for the interest. Oh, we appreciate it very much. Rob Roberts joining us from the Canadian Press out of St. John, New Brunswick, and sharing uh, this story. And the headline is, Alarming Number of Americans Continue to Carry Guns into Canada. Uh, You have to guess, Tristan, Mm -hmm. that if uh, that many have been seized, there are some uh, that have not been detected, have not been seized. Well, and you know what's interesting, Greg, is that, and this just speaks to a difference in culture right there. I mean, the gun culture in the U.S., you know, if a Canadian went up to a shopping mall and said, no guns allowed here, we'd we'd say, well, duh, what do you mean? But in the U.S., there are signs like that everywhere where you go up to somewhere, it's like it's a gun-free zone. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, from a Canadian perspective, you know, when I first heard that they sold bullets at Walmart... I was looking at this and thought, okay, that's that's got to be an isolated incident. But no, it turns out they sell it all over the place. And that, to me, was mind-boggling. Do they, do they not sell hunting rifles and ammunition at, at Walmart in Canada? I, not the Walmarts I've been to anyway. Oh, well, maybe you've just never been looking. I mean, I don't know for sure. 204-780-6868. Our, our listeners know. Yeah. Jason says, if I were to transport a restricted firearm without uh, an ATT permit... In Canada, five-year minimum uh, for a Canadian citizen. So the Americans are getting off pretty easy. Uh, the equivalent of a slap on the wrist. Uh, nothing worse than having your holiday plans canceled, mm. I supposed, other than perhaps 
a stint in jail. Well, that's again, that's also a matter of research, too. I mean, if I were going to any other country, I mean, the, granted, the U.S. is about as close to Canada as you can get from any other country sure. in the world. But if I'm going to any other country, I want to make sure what are the laws. I mean, when it comes to health insurance, for instance, the health care system there is completely different. So when I travel to the U.S., I said, what do I need to make sure I'm covered in case something happens? So you got to do your research, even if you're going to the U.S., got to do your research. Do you, ever, well, you don't have television, so you don't watch that uh, border security program they have no. on TV. Yeah, you see quite a bit of that, uh, Americans trying to, to come across with their guns, and uh, they're a little bit bothered when they have to give them up. Uh, on the other side, we're going to talk about keeping your ca- kids entertained over the summer, and maybe why boredom isn't such a... Bad thing. We talked about this at the beginning of the summer. A lot of people in the home stretch to a certain extent, four weeks left of summer vacation, and then a couple of days after the Labor Day weekend. We'll talk about that with Michael Teschuk. He's a clinical psychologist at the University of Manitoba. When we come back, it's Greg and Tristan. Greg Mackling along with Tristan Field-Jones. And a big shout out to my fellow parents out there who are celebrating that they've survived Halfway through summer vacation, with all love and respect for our children, it can be very difficult getting your kids around, finding appropriate daycare, activities for them, uh, camps, etc. I don't know why it seems different than when we were kids. My, my mom worked not the entire time I was growing up. But it, it seemed to me as though uh, she always seemed to be around in the summertime and that we there was never I never went to a single camp. Growing up, uh, it was uh, not until my late teen years where I went to the Peace Garden camps uh, for for football and such, but that was totally on my own accord and uh, because I wanted to go. I was never shipped off to camp, so to speak. Did you ever go to camp? Uh, not exactly. I went to summer day camps that were put uh, put on by the city of Winnipeg, right? Uh, which were fantastic. Okay. Uh, I did uh, several weeks, and I, I ended up becoming a volunteer for the city too, where I helped. Oh, great! Uh, yeah, so uh, I did both both ends of that, if you will, and that was several weeks. Not every week of the summer, but pretty much every other week. Well, whenever we had a drop in at the school, when we found out that the uh, gym was open in the evening, there's nothing like going in and shooting some baskets or sure play, playing some pickup volleyball. Uh, that was a unorganized play. A lot of what we did in the summertime, we were very creative in terms of what we did with our time. But as society has changed, we feel this need to have our kids in all these organizational sort of activities, these these things that are structured. And uh, the folks from the Manitoba Psychological Society are encouraging parents to have their kids embrace the boredom. Joining us to discuss this uh, is Michael Teschuk. He is a PhD in psychology, so we could call him Dr. Teschuk, clinical psychologist and assistant professor, director of training, clinical health psychology residency at Max Rady College of Medicine, Rady Faculty of Health Sciences, University of Manitoba. A mouthful there, Dr. Teschuk, but we appreciate you taking some time. Why embrace the boredom? Why is boredom good for kids? Well, I have to say, first of all, I'm kind of biased. I'm a, I'm a child of the 70s myself, so uh, I w- also grew up in that generation where, you know, we were sent outside to play, and yep. we would play from uh, from morning until we got hungry. Maybe stop for lunch. Often kept going right till dinner time, and then then came in. So it was all it was, you know, it was all about that uh, being creative and curious and using one's imagination to to explore and just kind of have adventures in that really unstructured way. Yeah, I, I think uh, the the worst 
two words that you could utter in my house when I was a kid was I'm bored. I'm bored. <laughs> that yeah. wine, that wine of I'm bored, right? Yeah. You well, know, I, I think it's important for parents to, to remember they don't have to immediately step in and solve that as if it's some kind of a problem. But, uh, you know, what, you know, a parent can respond, well, you know, you're, you're bored. What, what are you going to do about it? What are your ideas? You know, I think it's good to, to encourage our kids and challenge them to, uh, to be able to deal with boredom and to find ways to, to structure, structure their lives and, and kind of become self-motivated, so to speak. So why is it that all of us children of the 70s and even the early part of the 80s, as parents now, boredom is a dirty word. Oh, my gosh, I, I've, I've got to fix Johnny and, and Jill's uh, boredom situation. Why haven't we learned from our own experiences that it's OK to just go out and run around, maybe not in the street the way we we used to, but to go out and just and just play, and we'll see you at six o'clock. We'll we'll yell. Somebody will yell, and uh, we will call you for dinner. Well, you know, I I think that uh, it's not just kids; it's parents too, isn't it? Uh, you know, we live in this uh, society and a culture now where people are so hooked into social media and kind of need constant stimulation on their phones and uh, you know and computers that that even as adults, we've kind of uh, lost sight of kind of living in the moment and, uh, and being able to, to create when, uh, when uh, we might otherwise not be stimulated by all those, uh, all those things that we have in our hands. Well, I have to say, uh, Michael, and I'm, I'm a kid of the 90s, and what you guys are saying was very relevant to me too, but parents, and this was for, for my friends too, my, my friends' parents, it was a matter of go out and play and, you know, we'll see you in a few hours or whatever it was. So I think that mentality was there all the way into the 90s too. And it, it's, I would be curious to know, because again, as someone who, who you know, I, I kind of grew up with the internet, but all these touchscreen devices and everything, that was not part of my childhood. So, Michael, I have to ask, in spite of the fact that we've got so much more to do nowadays, in spite of the fact that we have the internet and the ability to access almost all of human knowledge in the palm of our hand, how is it that boredom is suddenly becoming a huge problem? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'd agree that it's becoming a huge problem. First off, I, I think that this is, I mean, I'm sure that I wind, I'm bored to my parents too. I think how we, how parents respond to it is probably the thing that's differed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I guess the other main point that I want to make is that balance is the key, balance and flexibility. Parents know their own kids. They know how they, how they do with both structured and unstructured activities. And it's, it's not to say that structured activities aren't useful too. But really, I, I think the, the key challenge for parents is to know their kids, talk to their kids about what that balance is, you know, for the individual child, which is going to vary from age to age and from child to child too. We went out for dinner last night as a family, and at one moment, I, I kind of glanced around the table. And I go, "Oh my gosh, we we're becoming that family I detest." <laughs> I had my I had my iPhone in my hand, and Jackie was on her iPhone, and for whatever reason, we decided it would be okay for the kids to bring their iPads. It was a long day yesterday, and we'd been outside all day, and we just kind of were trying to create some silence and some and some downtime and ironically enough dr testchuk that involved offering our kids a, a little bit of a bribe in the form of electronic entertainment 
Sure, sure. And again, balance is the key, isn't it? I mean, it's. I mean, the the fact is, kids are are they're linked in with social media, and it's an important part of uh, of how they spend their time, how they connect with others. So we're not going to take that away. But you know, I do feel this sense of nostalgia for some of those old games. I remember old car trips, and even car trips with my own kids, where you play some of those games. Uh, you know, I Spy when they're young, or you know, it can be. Uh, I remember uh, one of my favorites was. Uh, I mean, I like music, so uh, you know, you pick a topic. You know, what? Uh, who can think of a song? And you got to sing it too. You can't just think of the, the title that has maybe that's about sunshine or something. And uh, it's amazing how 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 much fun kids might whine. They might say, "Ah, oh, that'll be boring. I don't want to do that." But you know, the amazing fact is, is that even as adults, we sometimes don't feel like doing something. But once we do it, we realize that it's a lot more fun and enjoyable than we originally anticipated. Michael, I can think of when I was a kid, when we were basically left with a few hours with friends to go out and do whatever it was, and we never really got into trouble. But I just think, you know, that was an opportunity for us to let our imaginations shine, if you will. I mean, we would go on an adventure and we'd pretend pretend we were world-class spies with one thing. I remember that as a kid. And and I, I feel as if, and that's... Maybe this is just my perspective as someone who can who was part of, I guess, the last generation without the smartphone as a kid. And I, I feel as if I don't see that nearly as often. And I have to wonder, you know, by are we inadvertently inhibiting imagination by making sure everything is structured mm-hmm. and, and everything is in place to avoid those two little dirty words? I think you're absolutely right. I think you've nailed it. You know, um, creativity comes out of uh, quiet times in contemplation and um, and imagination is such an important part of childhood. Uh, I certainly remember I think I spent a better part of my summers from age seven to nine as Batman running around the neighborhood right. and, you know you you need to have that unstructured time to allow kids imaginations and creativity to flourish uh, to just be able to sit and and be mindful and contemplate and and basically create, too. I just got a text message here from one of my favorite uh, listeners. Ryan says, I have two words to stay unboard, video games. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, a generational thing, and it is something that has crept into our collective consciousness and is something that we do. Uh, as someone who did a, a, a trip to uh, the Okanagan and back last summer without the use of any iPads, uh, it was painful at times. <laughs> you know, There's no doubt it is. There, there's no doubt it is. But did, did you find, uh, you know, I don't know if you're traveling with more than one child, but... Uh, two, those, two, always those, two. I have twins, so there's always two, Michael. <laughs> uh, you know, the experience that I've always had, and I've, I just heard a colleague talking about it the other day, too, is that, you know, her her kids are so busy during the the year with activities, but when they go on a family vacation, and a, especially, especially one of those longer car trips, the kids actually become friends again. Mm-hmm. And I remember that with, with my own kids, too, is that you know, they would actually learn how to socialize with one another and, and, and develop that closeness that can happen with siblings, uh, you know, on those kind of trips, too. I think that's another big benefit of, of that kind of time. So for as much as we're talking about uh, lack of structure or creating some unstructured time, it is important to maybe have limits on th- certain things and to encourage uh, kids to, to change up what they're doing, even if it's subtly, or it may have to be in a concrete fashion, no electronics between three and eight or whatever you might come up with. 
Absolutely, limits. Uh, you know, it, being able to set limits in a in a firm way, but in a uh, a thoughtful way um, that takes kids uh, takes their input into account too. I think, uh, depending on their age, is a huge part of parenting and and a real important skill. Is, 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 absolutely, is language on how you're doing that important to Dr. Testcheck? Like, as opposed, no uh, video games, or you know, uh, from three till eight, this is what we're going to do. As, as minute as uh, the language or the phraseology may uh, sound. Absolutely. You know, I think some, you know, some of the best parenting is firm parenting with limits, but that's collaborative in nature too, right? So instead of just no saying no, 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 it can very much be, well, let's, let's think of other things that we can, mm-hmm. we can do. You know, sometimes, uh, and you know, and sometimes little tricks are good too. I mean, parents might have something like an activities jar uh, with a list of activities and things that, that, kids can choose to do instead of being inside on the computer or, or with their phones. And so perhaps that, I mean, that can be a nice activity to come up with that list together and then allow the child during those times when you want to set a limit and say enough screen time that uh, they can go to the activity jar and they can pick some things that you'd like to do with them too. So uh, let me ask one last question here and allow me to con- to allow this conversation to become a bit meta here for a second. Okay, okay. Um, we talk about limiting smartphones, limiting iPads or whatever it may be, which I think is a fantastic idea. But on the flip side, if we're trying to avoid structure, if we're trying to help foster imagination and in a way encourage that boredom, are we, is it, is it the correct way to say between three and eight, we're not going to have iPads or iPhones? Are we not sort of falling back into that routine of structure by having something so rigid implemented? And I'm kind of playing devil's advocate advocate sure. here. And, and again, I have to wonder, like you said, how do we do that in an appropriate fashion so that we don't add structure to something that should be unstructured? Well, I mean, one, one, thing that comes uh, to my mind right away is that kids can have input into uh, when they use their screen time, too. So a family might have, and and families will vary this way, too, right, about how much screen time they'll allow. But but say if the allowance is going to be an hour a day or two hours a day, well, then it doesn't have to be rigidly uh, enforced from a certain hour to a certain hour. the, The kids, again, can have that input. When would you like to have your screen time today. And that's empowering for kids too. It's helping them to make decisions. And in a sense, what they're doing then is they are participating in learning how to structure their time um, appropriately. I mean, a skill that's obviously going to be helpful right through adulthood too. You've been very helpful on this, Dr. Testcheck. Great to make your acquaintance. We appreciate your insight and your time on this. We'll uh, we'll, we'll keep your uh, name and number in the Rolodex if that's okay. For sure, and uh, pleasure pleasure chatting with you guys today. Uh, much appreciated. Mm-hmm. That is Dr. Yeah. Michael Testcheck joining us. Uh, we got a memo here today from the Manitoba Psychological Society telling us, reminding us to. Uh, embrace summer boredom for our kids. It's a good thing. They're forced to uh, think about uh, what they can do with their time and and something other than the easy uh, screen time. Michael Testchuk is a doctor of uh, psychology, clinical psychologist, assistant professor, director of training, clinical health psychology residency, Max Rady College of Medicine, Rady Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba. <gasps> and he has a very large business card. We'll take a break. When we come back uh, more Mackling McGarry with TFJ when we return. Uh, Michael Testchuk can come back anytime. Absolutely. Love doctors, love uh, clinicians, love researchers who can put it into plain language yep. and did a great job of doing that and and just i can close my eyes and very quickly be back in the west end and 
playing hide and seek mm-hmm. for hours on end. Uh, my parents, who sacrificed having a front lawn for five years on Golding Street because we played baseball uh, on the front on the front street on our we we had our diamond in the front yard. You know, even though it was a baseball field one block over, uh, we played on the front street. We played ball hockey on the front street. We played football on the front street. And and even now, even nowadays, or nowadays, I think we are overprotective of our kids. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of it from time to time. I don't let my kids play on the front street between uh, when they get home at 4 until 6 o'clock because there's just too many people using the bay and there are people who use it as a cut through people who don't stop at stop signs people who come around the corner too fast i don't know if they come around the corner any faster than they used to on the street i grew exactly. up on or not it just seems like it of course yeah it's a different perspective right, right? i mean and, and the fact of the matter is i mean if you look at statistics for instance we all hear about uh, we all hear about circumstances or, or children who are abducted and then end up being dead i mean horrible stories like that and you know, that really, I can imagine as a parent, that makes you just shiver to of the bone. It does. But having said that, when you look at the statistics, you know, this big scary world is not so much the case since the early 90s. The crime rate in Canada has been going down consistently every single year. And in spite of the fact that here in Winnipeg, for instance, we have certain areas that are high crime neighborhoods, for sure, there are, according to the statistic, there were 80 neighborhoods last year that didn't report a single crime. Right. And out of you, 200. Out of 200. Yeah. And, and you look at that and you think, and most of the others were maybe one or two crimes that were nothing severe. So right. you, you look at that. I don't think that's what it is for me, though. Yeah. It's about controlling the controllables. I like That's yeah. my philosophy in business. That's my philosophy in a lot of things I do in life, is to control the things you can control. Like, I, I never want to be in a situation where something that I could have done differently and I should have known better is my, leads to my demise. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I used to have a philosophy when I was younger, even in my kind of carefree late teenage, early uh, 20s, if I was out at a drinking establishment, if there were if there was more than one guy in the room with uh, with uh, gang colors on, I left. Right. The chances of something happening were minute. And that's assuming they, that guy was was a gang gang member to begin with. Correct. Uh, but they were greatly increased if there was, you know, somebody in there who was potentially a member or doing something that he should have been doing, right? That that was my thought process was to minimize sure. and to and to eliminate uh, the, the opportunity for stupid things to happen. I mean, I mean, I did enough stupid things on my own to to probably wipe out that entire philosophy. But as a p- parent, I think that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to control the controllables. It's like Zika virus or the H one N one. What's the what's the last uh, mosquito borne one? That wasn't H one N one. That was Zika. That was Zika. The Zika. But there's the other one uh, that we had, West Nile virus, West Nile, right? Yeah. And the demands for f- mosquito fogging and what? Well, we can kill mosquitoes. You know, that, that's the idea is that we can control that, even though there are things uh, way more deadly for us that we're not doing anything about. And the other thing as well is just imagine if, 
you know, in an unfortunate incident, let's say your kids are playing in the street and a car comes around the corner too fast and one of them gets injured very seriously. Uh, and you would think to yourself, crap, why did I allow them to do that? Right. Why were they allowed? Right. Why did this happen? Right. Even though you did absolutely nothing wrong, your right. kids did absolutely nothing right. wrong. It's the fault of the idiotic driver who went down that corner way too fast. Right. But, but you know, there are enough people out there that are coming around that corner way too fast. And right. so you go, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take action here. I don't know. I don't know. If I had it all figured out, I'd write a book and be done with it. <laughs> a uh, self-help book by Greg Mackling. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants that. First advice, don't buy a self-help book. Yeah, exactly. We're coming up to 3 o'clock. Tristan Field-Jones in for a vacationing. Brett McGarry, Jason. Uh, Brett will be back. I think it's a uh, week tomorrow. He's enjoying mm-hmm. some downtime. And uh, Tristan, I think we have a very unique situation on Monday and Tuesday where it's Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore hosting Mackling and McGarry. Oh, at least there's one M in there to kind of keep things uh, on balance, at least somewhat. Tristan, uh, Global News and Weather coming up at 3 o'clock. And then the aforementioned, Brett McGarry will, in fact, join us to uh, tell us about uh, one of his weekend experiences and uh, tell us a couple other stories as well. I- I- I'm already missing Brett, uh, not because uh, I don't adore you, Tristan, but, you know, uh, Brett and I become very close over the last few years. So uh, that's adorable. We're going to say hi. Uh, uh, stick around, won't you? A good Tuesday afternoon, as Greg would say, a good not Monday afternoon. That's right. I would say that. It is Tristan Field Jones here with Greg Mackling. Um, I need some help with our next guest here. Okay. Okay. So pronunciation this, of the last name? Yeah, Brett Magari. Megary. 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 Brett Megary. Yes. Okay. Sounds familiar. Mm, Don't not know why. really. No. Try Megary. Oh, there it is. Well, anyway, Meg, welcome to the program. Is that my little buddy, Tristine? There it is. There it is right there. I'm so glad you're on recursion, Brett. Um, it's Sir Gregor and Tristine. Hello. How you doing, Brett? I'm all right, sir. How are you? Really well. Uh, missing you already, uh, as you can imagine why. Um, yeah. <laughs> hope you had a great, okay. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. I was a little bit jealous of your exploits and what you had planned for uh, Saturday night. I knew about it leading up to it, but we couldn't talk about it in, on the air because it was a little bit of a surprise for one of your buddies. It was. We, we interviewed Jessica from the Winnipeg Tasting Tours uh, a couple of Fridays ago at Santa Lucia Pizza, but uh, we... I went into the interview knowing full well that I was actually doing this Winnipeg tasting tour uh, the following weekend, which I guess was just this past Saturday, because my friend Kent Page is turning 40 on Thursday. So this was his gift from his wife, Eileen. She sent him and me on this tasting tour, this bruise cruise. And uh, I'm telling you, Greg, uh, as a fan of, uh, of local beer uh you know we're sort of in the this boom of of craft beer in winnipeg and it was uh it was a lot of fun and we met a lot of interesting people and and sampled some uh some tasty product you were mentioning to me uh when we were conversing over the weekend that uh, one couple one individual in particular from north dakota caught your attention as uh really interesting and had a great story yeah there was this young couple who like you you wouldn't know that they were not from here based on their accent because they sounded like the rest of us. And then they reveal that they're actually from Texas. So I start to say, I don't know, I want to guess say they're in their mid-20s, maybe late 20s, but uh, they look like mid-20s. So I said to one of them, I started to say to one of them, you 
I'm sorry, you say you're from Texas, but I, and she cut me off before I could finish. She said, there's no accent, right? The accent isn't there. <laughs> so apparently they're, uh, they, they say they're from Austin originally. And I guess Austin does not have the same accent that uh, the rest of the Texans do. Not that Texas has a heavy drawl, but you know, it's got a nice sort of, I always like that Texas has like a sort of a soothing Southern mm. drawl, but uh, they had no accent, so they could have been from St. James as far as, as, far as I knew. <laughs> but they uh, they now live in Minot, North Dakota, because the husband is with the uh, the U.S. Air Force, and he flies a B-52. That's a small plane. So, uh, <laughs> just a little one. And uh, this was their first trip to Canada. So they, they, they took in a local beer tour in their maiden voyage to the Great White North. So uh, they seemed to enjoy themselves, and everybody enjoyed their company. So, yeah. There was quite uh, the atmosphere in and around the city over the weekend. It was weather-wise as good a an August long weekend as I can remember, mm-hmm. Brett. But with Canada Summer Games going on and all the other incredible activities, there was a real buzz in Winnipeg over the last few days. Yeah, I would think so, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why these uh, these folks came in to uh, to visit Winnipeg, and uh, they just had they were like, oh, we'll take this beer tour. Which, which started downtown, um, and it was actually eerily quiet because we went. We started at the Peg Beer Company on Pacific, and I know that we've had, we've spoken to them before on our program. Uh, we started there, and they said, we're actually quiet today because the, there were no games over the weekend, but they said they've been really busy all week uh, leading up to the weekend because of the games. Um, oddly enough, <laughs> we got there a little early, so we, 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 we had a beer before the tour began, and the fruit, they they have a beer at Peg Beer Company called Donnie LeBlonde. Oh, really? Which, uh, I love yeah. that. That's great. <laughs> and so it's a nice blonde beer, and it was delicious. And of course, it's you know it's named after Winnipeg boxer Donnie LeBlonde. Um, and then they they took us into the back and gave us sort of a beer making one on one crash course as they showed us all their fancy equipment. And of course, I don't remember how any of it worked. There was so much. It was a lot of science, and I. I forgot how I forgot how to science after grade twelve. So, uh, yeah, and all the beer there, I'm sure, made it even easier to science, right? Yeah, well, you know, they, it may have contributed to to some of the forgetfulness. Uh, so they they fed us a pizza at Peg Beer Co. We we got a, a flight of of four beers. We got to sample four of their beers, and um, then Lauren, our host, she piled us. There were twelve of us. So she piled us into this, like, uh, an Econoline, one of those big Ford Econoline sort of cargo vans. And uh, we carted over to Little Brown Jug on William, which is, Tristan, uh, you would know where this is. Uh, it's real familiar territory, at least. It's right across from where we went to school at Red River College. Oh, yes. Yeah, within uh, Red River College, there's, oh, Brett, how many restaurants and bars would there be within Red River College that are a three-minute walk away? Uh, well, even when we went to school, there were so many. I know that the King's Head Pub sort of became kind of a yep. regular place for all Red River students to go. And yep. now you've got this little brown jug conveniently located across the street. Uh, I'm sure they make a, a fair amount of money on off of the students. Especially around exam uh, time, that's for sure. Yeah, so we went to a little brown jug, and uh, and then from there we, we darted over, Greg, to see our buddies at Torque Brewing on King Edward. I'm jealous. They have, What's that? I said I'm jealous. They have uh, they they have quite the amazing facility there. They they uh, they also have a canning machine which uh, the other breweries did not, 
And oddly enough, I went to see John Heim, their president, this morning so I could load up on supplies for the uh, this weekend, the, the 19th annual Laker Classic in Oak Island. And uh, I got to see the canning machine in action. And it was, it was they were pumping, they were canning 30 beers a minute. Um, it was it was neat. It was a, it, it, it awoke the child in me just to kind of stand back and go, hey, that's neat. Hey, Brett, I'm getting the sense that you're a convert to these local beer. They've become a, a big part of, let me phrase that properly. <laughs> <laughs> Buying local has become a priority for you. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just it's funny because the the very first time I I had beer, I um, I was actually it was the first time I ever drank, and I was there. I actually got quite sick off of it, so I, I stayed away from beer for many many years, and it's only in the last I want to say ten, not even like five years, five to seven years, where I revisited beer and. Uh, now that there's all these local players in the game producing all sorts of excellent different flavors and spins on beers that you might know, but the fact that they're local just makes it it makes it better, I think. Because if you're, I like to support you know local businesses. I don't yeah. like to do online sort of stuff and whatever. So, you know, yeah. and, and you know, Brett, I was just going to say I absolutely agree with you because I was. I was similar to that. I think the first beer I had was a Bud Light or something like that, and it was, was your okay. first mistake. Yeah. Why don't we press pause? We're going to update uh, the traffic situation. We've got a weather forecast. And, Brett, the other thing we like to do on this program, other than talk about uh, local businesses that are doing terrific things, we also like to tell stories. And, and you've got uh, an interesting one that ties to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers you're going to share with us, correct? Uh, yeah, the, I'll give you the sort of the cold notes of this for the for the full story. You'll have to go visit our friends at Torque, but I'll give you the I'll give you the tease. Okay, that sounds good. Brett McGarry joining us uh, on Mackling and McGarry. Tristan Field Jones is here as well, uh, filling in for Brett on holidays. It's it's all very confusing. Brett just couldn't stay away so we're glad to welcome him to his own show as i mentioned we will update uh, traffic weather and uh, more conversation as we return mackling mcgarry and tristan field jones on a tuesday afternoon great to have you aboard as we make our way through to another weekend and then i'm sorry but i'm really looking forward to holidays as much as i love being here with you every single day uh, I, I need a couple weeks off, and I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to some relaxation time. Brett's in the middle of that as we speak, but he's decided to join us. Uh, he had such an outstanding uh, time with uh, Winnipeg Tasting Tours. He wanted to relay his adventure and his time with us. And and Brett, you know my obsession with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers goes deep. Uh, you, you're telling me that there's a connection between my new favorite beer and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Is, is Am I getting that correct? You are, but before I just uh, do that, you mentioned that you're looking forward to your holidays. While you're working today, I was completing my my uh, third round in three days at uh, Kingswood Golf Course in uh, Basal. I'm currently sitting in their uh, completely renovated clubhouse, Fairways Restaurant and Lounge. Just thought I'd throw that in there uh, while you're. Thanks, bud. Sorry, man. Uh, that's not very nice. I'm not a nice person. You, your your holidays are going to be well deserved next week. I appreciate so, that. Uh, when I went to to Torque on Saturday, they, they have this couch that is made, like you sit, the cushions are in the trunk of this old, I, like I think it was an old Lincoln convertible or something. Uh, it's painted purple. It's basically like if you took a saw and like cut off the back end of this old uh, Lincoln from the 50s. 
Um, then they turn it into this couch, and it's nicely painted, and uh, my friend Kent and I were just marveling at this thing. So when I went this morning to see John, he says that it used to belong to a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, whose name is Cecil, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, it's Lining or Looning? Uh, I think it's spelled L-U-I-N-I-N-G. I'm, I'm doing this off memory now, and I uh, forgive my my poor memory, but the reason why I especially sort of took a shine to it is because he's nicknamed the Selkirk Milkman, <laughs> and I know that you, of course, Greg, were a milkman, and you've talked about your days as a milkman, uh, and that he was a bomber. You're a huge bomber fan. And so this car apparently used to belong to him, and the guys at Torque, they say that they found it sticking out of the ground in a quagmire somewhere in the interlake. <laughs> I don't know. There is a bigger story there that I didn't, you know, that John didn't have time to tell me. Uh, so if you go to see them at Torque Brewing, maybe they'll be able to tell you the full story. But this guy, so there used to be this guy's car, and it was like just buried, sort of sticking up out of the ground. Yep. And they, they pulled it out and turned it into a couch. That's and it's amazing. Wow. He wore number 73 for the Blue Bombers once upon a time. And wow. other th- and also having the nickname Milkman is something that I had for a little while at one point in my life. Uh, Cease also went to Daniel McIntyre, as did oh I. God. And he also played for the Winnipeg Rods, as did I, once upon a time, slash St. James Rods. So I've uh, got a lot in common with this man, so now i got to come and see his car. Wow. Yeah. That's- that's kind of creepy. It is sort of creepy, and, and it, the fact and that you torque. and the fact that you pointed out to me it makes it even creepier. I suppose so. Brett, I, I have to say that this sounds amazing. I, like, uh, well, I'm until a few days for yourself anyway. I've never been on anything like this. What are the details? How can people uh, take part in these tasting tours? Uh, I believe the website is WinnipegTastingTours.com. dot um, I should also point out as well that the tour wrapped up at Half Pint. So we we went to Torque and then we went to Half Pints. They've got a really nice little tap room. It's 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 a quaint little pub, and they have this like pinball room in the back with five or six pinball machines. Uh, so they they I mean we just had a visit with Half Pints the other day, uh, but I believe the website is WinnipegTastingTours dot com. You're correct. No, oh, it's dot ca okay. actually. Winnipeg- ca okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Brett. And uh, and uh, you can just buy the tickets there. Uh, like I said, you you have to get yourself to the beginning of it, but once you're there, they will transport you. Uh, to each of the individual locations, like I said, in this big van. Um, I believe the tickets are 80 bucks, which at first might seem like a lot, but you get a fair amount of beer. You get transportation to four different microbreweries. You get a meal in there, and uh, and it's a really you get an education on how they make their beer, and uh, and you get a, a huge variety of local beers in three hours. It's uh, It was a great, it was a night I'll never forget. It was amazing. That's awesome. Brett? We're out of time. I'll catch up with you later on, and uh, I might not see you for three weeks, but I'll be talking to you for sure. Okay, bud? All right, Mr. Mackling. Enjoy. And, and bye, Christine. Bye. Uh-huh. Brett McGarry joining us on Mackling and McGarry. Ironically enough, he had to call in to his own show. Do you recognize the song? Not yet. That's good, because if you would have said yes, I knew you would have been lying. This is the beginning of a video from a band that comes from the province to the west of us. It's not the Sheepdogs. 
It is the Northern Pikes, and they're coming to Winnipeg. They're playing the Burton Cummings Cedar. I gave you all the information there for it, Jay. When are the when are the Pikes coming to uh, Burton Cummings? When are they coming to see us? They are coming to the Burton Cummings Theater on November 23rd. Very good. We've got Beat the Box Office tickets for you. But we don't just give these things away to anybody. No. Northern Pikes, easily their most popular song, I would say. Most known song would be She Ain't Pretty. Let's listen to that for about six seconds. Our trivia question this afternoon, pretty simple. What natural phenomenon is described in the album title that contains the hit single she ain't pretty. Something that we don't ever want as a weather phenomenon. Ever, ever, ever. But it does happen every once in a while. That's your hint. That's your clue. Phone lines are open now. 204-780-6868. The Northern Pikes, She Ain't Pretty. What album is it from? It's a weather phenomenon that we never, ever want to see. That's your hint this afternoon. Greg Mackling along with Tristan Field-Jones and Tristan... The President of the United States has, um, well, he, he's, he's made comment on the revelations. Uh, we don't know if this has been confirmed yet, but we're led to believe that uh, North Korea is a step closer to becoming a, a legitimate nuclear threat to the United States. The uh, This has been kind of ongoing for a good chunk of the afternoon. Uh, apparently, U.S. intelligence suggests that North Korea now has the technology to mount a nuclear warhead on a an ICBM, which is short for an intercontinental ballistic missile. And they believe that uh, they can reach the mainland U.S., uh, including cities as far as Chicago, uh, which is uh, certainly a worrisome development from a regime that is unstable at best. Um, and this was just breaking here. President Trump has issued an extraordinary ultimatum to North Korea, warning Kim Jong-un not to make any more threats against the United States or they will, quote, face fire and fury like the world has never seen. This is from CNN. And, uh, you know, the harsh words followed reports that U.S. intelligence analysts have assessed that North Korea has produced a miniaturized nuclear warhead, according to multiple sources familiar with the analysis of North Korea's program. This is uh, the, the situation on the Korean peninsula is tense just to begin with. I'm quite certain that these are the most pointed words from a president, from a head of state, and the most uh, significant language that has been spoken regarding this conflict. And the unfortunate thing with this is that North Korea kind of has the advantage here in the sense that we we're what we're trying to do is trying to prevent a war on that peninsula because right. we know it will be without a doubt one of the deadliest in human history. We know that for sure. The fact of the, the problem here is that, you know, North Korea keeps upping the ante, upping the ante. And, uh, you know, at what point do you say enough is enough? We said an, a nuclear armed North Korea. Well, that would be enough. But now they have nukes and several of them. Well, all these red lines keep getting crossed, right? Yep. Uh, lines in the sand that have been drawn for, for years. And here we are now. Or it appears as though... The uh, North Koreans have a weapon that is not only capable of, uh, you know, affecting its neighbors, whether it be South Korea, uh, Japan, and, and, and other allies of the United States, but the United States itself. Let's pretend that we, we let's accept that as fact. 
Are you concerned about this? You're a pretty level-headed guy when it comes to mm-hmm. these sorts of things. Are you concerned about this? Does this bother you? Will you sleep less well tonight knowing this? Well, let me put it to you this way. I am not, am I worried about like Winnipeg being a target? No, not at all. But what does concern me is that, number one, this is an unstable regime led by a madman. So so North Korea, who knows what they will do? And number two, ultimately, what's more important is that they're willing to sell these weapons. They're willing to sell all sorts of technology to whoever will buy it because so few people will purchase products from North Korea. So my big concern was, let's say North Korea doesn't do anything, but who are they selling this to? In what hands are these weapons going to end up? Are they, because there is evidence out there to suggest that North Korea has dealings with terrorist groups. If ISIS or Al-Qaeda or any one of those number of terrorist groups gets their hands on a nuclear weapon or on a chemical weapon of some sort that they purchased from North Korea. Well, it's beyond a game changer. That is the question. And ultimately, if we can trace that weapon back to North Korea, what are the consequences then? North Korea may not fire that weapon. They may not attack first. But ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, where do those weapons and where does that technology end up? And that, to me, is the concerning part. We'll uh, take a break. We will obviously keep an eye on this. Tom Price, uh, Homeland Security uh, Secretary, is speaking right now. I'm sure we will have audio for that in our news at 4 o'clock or at 4.30 as we make our way through the afternoon. Julie Buckingham, Keith McCullough will join us in a few moments. Uh, Before we do that, though, some sad news out of the entertainment world. Uh, The Randstone Cowboy himself, Glenn Campbell has passed away. His publicist says uh, Campbell has uh, passed away at the age of 81. Campbell's been battling uh, Alzheimer's disease in a very public fashion for almost a decade now. And uh, I, for one, was a huge fan of his work as part of the Wrecking Crew. If you've never seen the documentary about the Wrecking Crew, it's a great introduction to a small part of the work that Glenn Campbell did as a studio musician. And then there's also a story of his life uh, that you can find on Netflix. I will pass along the name of that documentary when we come back on the other side of a traffic and weather update. But let's listen to a little bit of Glenn Campbell. Uh, News breaking just now. Glenn Campbell has passed away at the age of 81. Like a One more time, if you're just tuning in, Glenn Campbell has passed away at the age of 81. I'll Be Me is the documentary that you can uh, watch on Netflix about his battle with Alzheimer's. It was produced, released in 2014. Uh, it is, uh, it, it's, it's an eye-opening experience, to be sure. And if you're even a tiny bit 
of a Glenn Campbell fan, uh, you will want to uh, watch that. Uh, congratulations, Kathy Panson knew that snow in June is a weather phenomenon that we do not want any part of <laughs> in this part of the world. It's also the name of the Northern Pikes good song. album that uh, spawned uh, She Ain't pretty. pretty. That's right. Her ego wrote checks incredibly fast, but her personality didn't have the cash. Boy, you really like that song. I think that line is, it's perfect. Yeah, it, it is a very well-written song. I was going to say, is that what's coming up on the news this evening? Or are you just going to keep <laughs> Lyrics Northern with Pike? Julie, Pikes, maybe. Uh, lyrics, yeah, why if not? I have anything to say about it, yep. That's uh, what it's going to be. <laughs> there's the birthday boy himself, yes. Keith McCullough. Happy, Hello, uh, happy 20th, Keith. Yep. 20. Yeah, looking great for 20. 20-something. 20 20-something. 20 hey, congratulations on 20-something uh, again. On, on 20. You know, I always thought you are a little older than that. You, you've been around here, what, six years now? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, boy. Teenage prod- prodigy. Uh, what are you doing on the air? Uh, Starting at 14 well, years old. Child star. What's on the news? Our, our... Speaking of lyrics, yeah. uh, we have tickets to Guns N' Roses to give away you on do? the news. Some of those lyrics you can't say on the radio, but... I don't want you complaining about this, because... Well, we have Northern Pikes tickets, which are ex- awesome, but you extra- have Guns and Roses tickets? Hey, we've been very patient. We haven't had much to give away lately, so oh. we're being given we, this. We, we always have stuff to give away on so, that thing, McGarry. Uh, Paradise City is one of the songs. We want you to send us a picture of your little paradise in our city. Ah, nice. That ties in nicely to our conversation throughout the day, celebrating Winnipeg. Summer hot spots. The nice stuff. So text us your picture, 780-6868, of your little paradise in our city. Nice. To tie in with Paradise City and Guns N' Roses tickets. We'll give those away this afternoon. I, I have to ask real quick, Julie, what is your little paradise in Winnipeg? Um, has to be my backyard. Your backyard? Yeah, just, you know, where you feel most comfortable and, you know, you got the pool and you're just chilling out there. And at this point, um, there's only a field behind me. Only the only hiccup in all of this is that field right now is covered in thistles. So all that thistle fluff is flying into my backyard. So it looks like snow in August because all the thistle fluff is okay. So maybe it's not my paradise. So you're in the market for a new uh, Maybe it's not my paradise in the city. But well, Keith, I what still about love you? my backyard. Uh, you know what? Mine would be uh, mine would be Assiniboine Park. That's my favorite place to spend time. Whereas yours, your balcony watching storms. Uh, that's a good <laughs> guess, actually. Yes, but uh, I would actually have to say uh, Assiniboine Park too, because I can walk well, there. What, and you can't. Come no, on. no, I can. No, I can because can't I enjoy it, and I live right nearby. So stop being jealous. What about you, Greg? No. Your paradise in the no city. No one's jealous. You're uh, very you jealous. You know what? I'm copying you, ironically <laughs> enough. Mine is my backyard. Yeah. I love to just uh, be this at home. This is great content. Original <laughs> ideas. No, yes. it, it really is. But there are so many. Oh, in all sure. There's so many hidden gems, hidden oh, yeah. neighborhoods, little places that you can go to uh, escape. And, you know, the, that magic phrase, I don't even feel like I'm in Winnipeg. And there are so lots I of places like that in Winnipeg that where you don't feel like I you're in I can't wait to see some of those text messages and we'll share some. Make sure you say where these locations are, especially if they're not your backyard. When you so have a little bit of time, uh, when you're sitting at this chair later on, scroll ter- through mine or Tristan's through the text messages. Some of the pictures of the magical places in uh, Manitoba that people have sent us, including right now, just got one. What have we got here? Oh, man, uh, that's on the shores of, I don't know if that's Lake Winnipeg or Lake Manitoba, but it's absolutely gorgeous. 
Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so so uh, send us your uh, your favorite uh, piece you, of paradise. And you can in be off city. to see Guns and Roses. Uh, got lots of other stuff going on this afternoon, including a conversation with Russ Heslop. He is with a, a collision consulting firm, formerly a Winnipeg police officer. He is going to talk to us about the justice minister looking at reducing the impaired limit from 0.08 down to 0.05. Mm-hmm. So that will be an interesting conversation. Yeah, that could be big. It could obviously uh, affect all of us and something you need to know if you're uh, having a drink and even thinking about getting behind the wheel, that legal limit could be going down. Another story that comes out of the long weekend that is really troubling is boaters. And speaking of impaired boating and not keeping carrier boat, not following the rules on the water, the Life Saving Society were out and about over the long weekend and they checked a whole bunch of boats and long story short, almost none of them were in compliance with whether it's the people on the water. None. I think I think I think two of the 25, for example, that they told us about were in total compliance with all the uh, all the rules. There were a lot of fines handed out. So Kevin Tordiff from the Life Saving Society is going to join us uh, after 530 to elaborate on that as well. Just like we see police out doing check stops on long weekends. We have these boating folks out there on the water and people are failing the test when they're getting checked out on the long weekend. So that's something we'll talk about as well. You know, we talk about uh, education as being the key. There are a lot of people that don't like imposing fines when people aren't doing the right thing. We've been doing this education thing on the water for a long time. Clearly, it's having very limited uh, results. And, and what's needed is certainly not a secret. What you need to have in your boat and what you need to be doing in your boat is not a secret. Nope. And then and then if it is a secret, you shouldn't be on the boat. Keith yep. McCullough, Along with Julie Buckingham, it is the news from 4 till 7. Thank you, Jeff Forche. Thank you, Tristan Field-Jones. I'm Greg Mackling. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 o'clock.